Welcome everyone to the Trail Life Podcast. I am your host, Jeff Stoner. We are on part two of our two-part conversation on the state of events and what races may look like moving forward. Today's topics are going to include aid stations and the ideas of the setup and the distribution during races. How are liquids and how are food going to be distributed to runners and what can runners expect from the volunteers at those aid stations? We're also going to talk volunteers overall in regards to how to incorporate them from specific guidelines into the races. What's it going to look like from a finish line, aid station, and registration perspective on, from, the, from the volunteer themselves? I am joined again today by Julie Neish from Air Viper Running and David Janowick from the Recess Factory. But before we get into any discussions, this episode is brought to you by Honey Stinger. Honey Stinger makes natural, honey-powered nutrition to help you prepare, perform, and recover your best. Sweeten the burn no matter where your workouts take you. For more information, go to honeystinger.com. Well, help me turn the turning. Well, help me get it right. I don't want to hurt nobody. Well, I don't want to fight. into it. I really appreciate you guys coming back on and being part of our second part of our conversation uh, in state of events and what runners and even race directors, what we should be looking at uh, moving forward over the next couple uh, months into six months for what races are doing. So today we are going to be talking more along the lines of aid stations and volunteers and what that looks like from their perspectives. You know, as both of you can attest, volunteers are the lifeline of of all events, right? And none of us would really be able to put these events on without without them. So I want to make sure that we kind of cater to what those volunteers are going to have to expect coming into races because we, you know, we'll end up getting anywhere from 15 to 25 volunteers every single race. And it's, we're always, you know, even with them, we're getting the questions of what's next? What, what, what do we have to do? What do we have to wear? So I, I definitely want to make sure that we gear everything towards them. So I want to jump right into the aid station perspective. And again, as before we were talking about David, it's, it's kind of a, I want to get it from a road perspective and your, in your angle. And then Julie will get it from uh, the trail side and the ultra side. Cause that's one time, that's one thing that we don't do a lot of. I, you know, the endurance race series only does one, 50k event and we're lucky enough that one of our aid stations is a checkpoint aid station and the other two are just regular aid stations so we don't have to dive into too much of bag drops and you know crew and pacers and stuff so so david i want to start with you first did you guys have uh any i know it's a 5k at at the nisawa firecracker 5k did you guys have an aid station there and then if not, moving forward into some of your other events, what, what are you guys doing to kind of prep for all of the fluids or even any kind of food that you guys got at the aid stations? So the, the one that we, we have an event coming up next Saturday too here in Erie, but the, the Minnesota event that we did is a 5K and a 10K. So typically we'd have three aid stations on that. The 10 cares would hit it three times. The five cares would hit two aid stations. And this year, we eliminated all of them. We did ready to go water at the finish. So bottled water on ice that people grabbed by themselves. And then uh, we told them to bring, you know, we, we 
we set the expectation long in advance and said, we're not going to have eight stations this year. We're going to keep it really simple um, and just eliminate any, any questionability at all. So we didn't have any pushback on it whatsoever. Not one person even mentioned or asked us if there's aid stations. So they obviously read the dialogue that we sent them, which was surprising, but we, a lot of people brought bottle, you know, either like the, uh, the hip packs with, or they brought a bottle of water with them when they're running. Most people didn't bring anything with them at all for the 5k. I mean, it's three miles for the most part. It w that went really well. You know, we didn't plan on, on doing aid stations at all. Did you, did you decide to go that direction just because how new everything was getting into a 4th of July race? I mean, just kind of eliminate the, the concern on your part and, and any volunteer or runner's part, right? Yeah, I mean, that, that model, the reason why we, we decided not to do water stations, we made that decision in April probably. It was, long, it was, we, it was long. well before July 4th. Okay. And that decision was made conservatively when we put together the preparedness plan that we had to submit to the county and to the city. So that was obviously very conservative uh, preparedness plan. In hindsight, yeah, we could have done aid stations. And if, if we were to do that, you know, I'd have to think through kind of what the best way, it'd probably be ready to go. So it wouldn't be what we okay. usually do is a bunch of Gatorade coolers or gallon jugs. Okay. So, guys, set up and, you know. so are you not doing, so for your event next weekend, or is it the same situation? You guys aren't doing aid stations at all? Well, the event next weekend is a kid's obstacle adventure. Okay. So it's kids between the age of like three and 11 and they either do one mile or two miles. Um, <laughs> They can have a sidekick go with them, their parents, so their parents could take water with. Um, we'll have bottled water at the finish, so they can grab that before or after. We don't do an aid station for this anyways. Typically, we'd have like Chick-fil-A out doing food, and then uh, we'd do food at the finish, like some kind of snacks with bottled, we always do bottled water at the finish anyways. Um, we're still doing bottled water, but I don't think Chick-fil-A is a partner anymore, so that wasn't a decision we had to make. Right, now from, Let's go back to Nisawa really quick. Did the Nisawa officials have anything to say as far as aid stations at all on, on course, or is that something that's pretty standard with them and, and not having to worry about? Liquid? When you say officials, what do you mean officials? Well, like you're, did, when you're talking to, you know, city, the you know, city officials, the parks or the, or the, oh yeah, whatever. I mean, did, did they have any input as far as uh, your aid station or if you were, concerned about not doing an aid station or did, is it something that you guys don't do normally um, with that event anyway? No, we always do aid stations. Like I said, we do three of them, water stations. The only thing we have at them is water, but we do that historically every single year we've done it. We've had three. Okay. They didn't ask because we told them right off the bat, we're not doing them. And that, that right there eliminated any, eliminated any questions they would have had like, okay, well, that's safe. You're not, not doing them. Nice. So Julie, I'm going to direct it over to you because now we're getting into the trail side of things. Um, and you, you've got longer distances like, like I have, and you're from a half marathon up to, you know, the 50 Ks and everything else. What are you guys planning to do or what have you done in the, in the past at some of your last, you know, last couple of events? Yeah. So our first event was a little bit shorter distances. Um, and that one, was in Silverton and Silverton initially had told us that we did not have permission to do food whatsoever. Um, we said that wasn't really an option because there is a 50K event there. And so we were able to do prepackaged food for that first event. 
Then our second event was Tushers. It offers 100K. So really for 100K runners, you have to provide some real food. You can't just yeah. have pretzels and chips for, and especially that one has a 24 hour cutoff. So for sure, there's gotta be some real food. So um, we did all the same stuff that we normally do for that. Grilled cheese and quesadillas, some soups. Um, everything was single serve. So the aid station would put it into a disposable cup. Um, the quesadillas and grilled cheese, we would wrap up like a half a grilled cheese individually in a piece of foil and have it in the chafing dish so that it would be warm and they could just come and actually the volunteer would hand it to them. So runners were never touching anything on the aid station table. It was always a gloved volunteer handing them what they had requested. I also ran another event. Um, I did a hundred camp in Colorado. And one thing that they did that I really loved is they had a menu posted about 200 yards before the aid station. And so runners were expected to look at the menu, make a decision what they wanted and walk up to the aid station and request it and go. So there was no standing at the aid station, like oh, hemming and hawing. I don't know what I want. What do you have? <laughs> um, so, you know, that was communicated up front that that was the expectation. And I actually really liked it because it really cut down on the congregating at aid stations. So I think we might try and incorporate that in some of ours too. Uh, the races yeah, that we... That's a really interesting concept. I, to, A, to, to keep stuff in wraps and Ziploc bags and stuff, that's kind of where we're going too. But I never even considered even putting a sign you know, bigger sign out, you know, further away from the aid station, hundred yards or whatever it is and, and saying, Here, here's what you have to choose from, go for it. Uh-huh. And so that, that does make it quite interesting as far as from a runner perspective, for sure. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, one of the things that uh, we're doing, cause we're, we've shifted over completely to coupless racing. So we don't, we've kind of eliminated that anyway. So that in itself helps us out in this period so we don't have mm -hmm. to worry about all these cups laid out all over the place and people picking them up or volunteers having to hand them over so what we've done is gone coupless but we've also decided that uh, we're going to utilize a foot pedal system for our liquid mm -hmm. we saw that from uh the first time i saw somebody use that was the vacation race guys we saw that too and and I saw their contraption and I was like, man, we should, that'd be really cool to, to do something. And lo and behold, a month later, Water Monster comes out with a, with the foot pedal system, which is like, all right, great. This is, makes it a lot easier. I can just order it. But we're, we're going to go to that system, I think, at least for our, uh, for our water. And then for our electrolytes, uh, if we don't have enough of the foot pedal systems, we'll just do like a bigger, uh, they, I think Water Monster calls it an ultra spout. So you just uh -huh pressure water bottle up against the that's what we got for our events and it comes out so fast it's really yeah, nice yeah. <laughs> yeah so uh, that's what that's the only thing i was worried about because we were testing that too and and i every single time i was like okay we're gonna have to figure out a way to you know regulate it down somehow if we can it, it comes out and we were you know, wasting all this water <laughs> mm, <laughs> sure. so that's why i think i'm trying to go to the foot system because it comes out a little bit slower that way but who knows? We're trying just to eliminate people touching, you know, touching the coolers and all that stuff as well. Sure, sure. I think mostly what we do is have volunteers with pitchers. So there'll be one volunteer with a pitcher of water and one with Gatorade and the runners expected to open the bottle themselves. And then without making any contact, they'll pour it directly in. Nice. And that's our preference, you know, when there's a limited amount of runners coming into the aid station. 
from the ultra side of things and going back to that with bag drops and other food items, like what, what was your, what's your take on, on getting the runners set up with their own drop bags? Are you letting them drop in different locations versus just one particular spot? How does that work in, in with what you guys are doing? Yeah, at Tushers, we did um, offer the opportunity for drop bags at more aid stations than we normally do. But um, yeah, you know, it really just depends. For the first race we did, we did not do drop bags um, because it was so difficult to access all of the aid stations. Um, It was a really rough four-wheel drive road to get there. Um, So it just depends on the distance for us. I mean, if it's less than a 30K, we typically don't offer drop bags. Um, a lot of our events here locally are looped courses too. So we'll offer finish line drop bags, um, which is also a through drop bag. So, you know, our race coming up in two weeks is up to six loops on the same course. So you have the opportunity then to access your drop bag five different times. Yeah, that's what we're going to be doing with our Snow Mountain Ranch 50K is our checkpoint aid station is the beginning of another loop. So every, you know, 10, 10 plus miles, you get a chance to come back to your drop bag. And that's the only spot we're allowing people to drop, drop bags. I don't know what the setup is going to look like just yet. Did you guys have like a a larger uh, drop point for your, for those bags or how did that work for you guys? Cause that's, that's one thing I'm trying to figure out is how are we going to position the drop bags in that, in that area? Now, granted, we have a ton of space so we can spread them out, but I don't want a runner having to walk over 25, 50 yards to go get a bag, right? So it's, that's the thing that we're struggling with. Typically, we have just a large tarp that's set out right next to the aid station, and we usually have a volunteer that is responsible for finding the bag for the runner. So they'll just run up and based on their number, the volunteer will find it. And then um, we have chairs spaced six feet apart where they're able to sit down and go through their bag as needed. Um, You know, really, I think we found that at all aid stations, we just don't have the crowding of runners because everybody's starting five minutes apart. You know, the, the start of the race with 200 runners is over the course of two hours. So we just don't have that mad rush to get your drop bag or so it's worked out well. We just looked at, we were trying to figure out, uh, I was listening to another podcast when they were talking about, you know, peanut butter sandwiches and, and stuff like that. When you guys did your quesadillas and your other made food, did you guys have that professionally done or you had a staff do that and also staff and volunteers wrapped it prior to the event? How, how did that work for you guys? No, we were able to do it at the event. So yeah, we just had a table that was used only for food preparation that was sanitized regularly. And it was a gloved volunteer that was making those. I mean, you don't really want a quesadilla that was made 10 hours previously. Oh, no. So, yeah. <laughs> I just, it's weird because it's great that you get quesadillas on a course. Like I would never would have thought about that. Like, but you're right. After the quesadilla sits there in the sun though for a little bit, I'm like, eh, I don't know if I'd even want it then. <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> but um, so that's why we always go sandwiches, but yeah, I'm, I was struggling with trying to figure out if we should do that ourselves or, or get somebody to come in and, and help us out with that. So mm-hmm. it's good to know. It's good to know that you guys also prepared all that stuff yourselves mm-hmm. um, moving into it. Um, let's talk volunteers really quick. So one of the things that we're going to do with our volunteers that are, A, you have to wear face masks. That's 
kind of a, a given, right? When it comes to aid stations, you know, what's your guys' thoughts about, you know, having gloves versus, you know, as you said, Julie, pouring, pouring pitchers for people, um, having, having volunteers hand over, whether it's, you know, honey stingers or, or another kind of goo or, or other kind of food. What's, what's your guys' thoughts on the activation with that? I've heard some people talk about how they are going to set up, you know, those plastic shields at an aid station. And we've, I've heard from an angle of where they're going to set up multiple tables to kind of utilize that as the six foot um, distance option. What are your guys' thoughts on, on aid station setups and how volunteers get, get kind of interactive with, with that? I mean, as far as the, uh, we, like I said, we haven't done any aid stations yet. Something that's sort of synonymous would be how we did our packet pickup. You know, we, we obviously, you know, per local guidelines had all of our volunteers, obviously they all agreed to be there in the first place. So they didn't come if they didn't want to be there. Um, but they all had masks. They didn't do gloves. We prepackaged everything for packet pickup. So it was drive through. There was no lines. It was just people drove through. Um, we had a, a one tent set up on one end, 400 yards down the road. And that tent would get their tickets and radio up to the, the other tents. And then the other tents would uh, have that family's bags ready to go with their everything prepackaged in it, whether it's a metal t-shirt, bib number, safety pins, everything. So they, you know, they, we knew who was coming in line. They, they opened their, their trunk or their rear door, put it in there and they took off. So, um, but our volunteers, they were all really happy to be there. One thing that we did for them, we do it for them every year, but um, during our registration processes for all of our events, people have an option to make a donation directly to that it's not directly to that nonprofit, but it goes through us but they can make an additional donation to the nonprofit, and we have you know we write out exactly what their their story is we make it as intimate as possible um and for niswa at least our nonprofit made the most money they've ever made this year with less than half the runners so i mean they're really happy to be there they were you know we follow all the county and, and state guidelines for the governor's ordinances not aid stations obviously but that would be the only place that we actually had volunteers was at our packet pickup. Otherwise it was all of our staff, even at the finish line. Did you do anything special from, from a volunteer perspective? Um, did they sign any extra, extra waivers, COVID waivers, you know, was it mainly face masks or, or did you have have them wear gloves and stuff too at the same time? Like what was your protocol um, from, from that perspective? We didn't have them wearing any gloves. They they all sign a uh, volunteer waiver, regardless of COVID or not. So they signed that waiver, but we didn't ha we didn't add anything to the waiver about COVID. We didn't add anything about that. I talked to my attorneys, and the waiver that we had was sufficient enough. So nice, Julie. Uh, everybody, you know, we all had masks on, whether that's you know it was a, a governor's ordinance. So we did what we had to do to make it happen. You know, and Julie, going to your back to you. Um, from the aid station perspective, how are you guys setting up your aid stations or how are you going to be setting up your aid stations in the, in the future as far as making sure the volunteers are separated out from, from the runners as they're, as you said, pouring liquid into their, you know, bag, you know their, their bladders or their cups or bottles? Um, so, you know, if they're doing the pitcher, they're obviously going to be closer than six feet to the runner, but both the runner and the volunteer is required to have a mask while they're in the aid station. So we do ask even our runners um, to carry a buff around their neck or a mask that they put on as they enter the aid station. 
um, and the volunteer has gloves on as well and there's no contact um, and it's you know what a 10 or 15 second interaction um, so we do allow the volunteers to get within six feet for that and then we have our aid stations spread out as you mentioned like having additional tents and having additional tables um, so that both runners and volunteers are able to spread out yeah those are really the two main things uh, we we do require our volunteers to sign the same questionnaire so um, it's posted on our website before they sign up for a volunteer shift they have to agree to all of our COVID procedures. And then they also have to answer the questionnaire that they don't have any symptoms or that they um, won't attend the event if they do show any symptoms or if they're exposed to anybody. Um, they also have their temperature taken. So it's the same across the board for all of our staff, volunteers and participants. It's the same expectations. Yes. I should add that in too, Jeff. We, we did the same thing as far as uh, pre-event, making sure everybody had, they were all clear on whether or not they had symptoms to not come. Um, we, we had a list of things that they had to abide by before coming into same with the runners. Yeah. And we're, we're doing the same thing. We've just kind of made it a stand at this point. We've kind of just made it a standard of, you know, you're going to sign a regular waiver and then you're going to sign your, your COVID, you know, waiver, just, just so everybody's done. And we do that through our registration uh, platform, even. Like, what does that waiver say in it? Uh, I mean, the purpose it, of the COVID it, waiver. It's pretty much, pretty much is, is just your, Hey, you know, self, self check yourself. If you're not feeling very well, please stay at home. Let us know via email or text uh, the morning or that morning. Make sure you, you know, you bring your face mask, you know, if you're, if you're required to have gloves on. So it's just kind of one of those things we, okay. we, structure, we structure that. So our, our COVID waiver might look a little bit different here in San Diego than it does in Colorado based on where we're at in that, that area. Like we're lucky enough that San Diego County kind of oversees all of our races in this area versus in Colorado, we have to deal with Douglas and, you know, other, other areas. So it's, so it kind of changes, but it, it yeah. pretty much says a lot of the same stuff. It's pretty much the, just a disclaimer and, and what you see on your, on your typical guidelines, as far as self-checking, you know, and, and making yep. sure that you're, you're feeling well enough to, to come and help out. I mean, at this point, you're, you're always going to get those volunteers going to cancel anyway, last minute. I, we have no problem with that. I mean, I would much rather people, you know, be safe and everything else. But yeah, we don't, we don't dive really deep. My, our lawyer was the same thing, David, just, we don't have to add anything into our waiver that changes the way the events insured. It's just pretty much just a, I should say it's more of a COVID disclaimer than. Yeah. Than or an agreement. It's more of a, like a personal agreement than a, than a waiver. Exactly. Right? And that's, that's the way it should be worded is it's more of a, just an agreement or a disclaimer versus a waiver. Pretty standard. And Again, we haven't had too many people, you know, call and ask questions about it. It's, we try and make it as simple as possible um, when people sign up for that. And it's the same thing that runners have to sign up for um, when they're registering too. One of the things I'm trying to figure out with volunteers is, is the, is not aid stations, uh, finish lines. One of the things that we're lucky enough, and I don't know how you guys have your medals. And David, I don't know if you're still using the same metal company that, that I'm using, but we're lucky enough that they individually package the yeah. medals, right? Which is that's the, a pain in the ass. Well, it, was a pain in the ass. <laughs> it was a pain in the ass to begin with. That was awesome. And all of a sudden, it's the greatest thing. Like, okay, now I don't have to open up all these medals individually. That's funny. <laughs> so we're gonna keep doing that and just lay them out on the table. But I'm trying to figure out, and again, this comes back to what else 
is involved with the finish line. Is there any kind of expo? Is there any kind of food tent? Having volunteers there at the finish line to help direct people or just to let people know where they can grab grab their medals and, and direct them to you know go back to their car or whatever it is. Julia, what have you guys done for for that perspective or even moving forward? Are you guys going to have somebody there at the finish line helping out with medals and everything else? Um, we prepackage the medals in their race packet. So before they even finish the race, the medal goes in with their shirt and their bib and the pins. Okay. So, so can we, we do the same thing. Okay. Yeah. I like so that. that just eliminates that contact point. Okay. That's good to know. Do you, do you guys always have, uh, do both of you always have the goodie bags? Cause that was, that's one thing that we don't do is we don't do a, a goodie bag pretty much. It's, get your shirt, get your bib and go. Um, is that something you've directed yourself to do now? Or is it just something you're, here's your medal, here's your shirt, here's your bib, and it's all individual, you know, grab? Uh, we typically don't do bags for it, but um, we have compostable bags that we ordered that we're using just for COVID. Yeah, we did the same thing. We, we don't do, we haven't done actual goodie bags for this event, for our running events for quite a while. It's similar to you too, Stoner, and it's uh, we we did them for Niswa, and we're gonna do them this next weekend for the Rad Rover too. So, just because it's all drive-through, so you just plop it in the car and they. Yeah, we started just well, I don't know. As of late, we've been doing all virtual stuff, so we've pretty much just had it all everything in mailers. Like, and if you given people the option, hey, if you want to come and pick up at a certain time at, at Runner's Rooster, you know, at the power. Yeah. That we're gonna that we're hosting the event at, please do. And we just if they don't come, then we just take that and we just mail it, you know, automatically once once we're done with that drive through. That's fun. We don't, yeah, we we haven't done a goodie bag in a while, and that's one thing that I've trying to consider is should we start getting back into it and just to, as you said, Julie, just a maybe a compostable bag just to keep it simple and nothing else goes in. It's just a you know, your actual gear that you need. Would you consider, you know, going back to the food aspect of it in that same category, if you did a prepackaged food item or an orange banana, whatever it is, a Ziploc, you know, sandwich or whatever it is, would you guys consider doing that into your bag at the beginning of the event? So people don't have to worry about finish line access, or is that something that is kind of off the table. I don't think that we would consider that for our events just because um, we do a drive-through packet pickup here at our office like the Wednesday before. Um, and then also our events, the upcoming events are spread out over three to four days is how we've been able wow. to get permission in Arizona now. Um, so we're typically packing them on like a Tuesday and then you might be running Friday, Saturday, Sunday, or Monday. You know, we've had to get creative. The redirect the, the conversation just for a quick, what's, what is Arizona's um, policy right now? Is it only 15 to 20 people per, per time or what's, what's going on with that? Well, so it's different for us depending on our races in the county versus the ones that are on national forest. So Arizona in general is groups of no more than 50 people. So um, Maricopa County, where we're at, um, where we have, you know, the majority, probably 90% of our Arizona races is allowing us to do 50 people on course at one time, which is, works great for us. Um, so we're able to predict out based on last year's finish times or, you know, the last 10 years finish times, 
how long it's going to take people to be on and off course. And, you know, there's like a whole formula that goes into predicting when we can have people start again for different distances. National Forest, unfortunately, is only letting us do 50 people per calendar day. So there's even some events where we had a day event and then there was a separate night event. But because it was the same calendar day, they're making us split that into two days. Yeah, it's a, and that's including staff and volunteers for 50 calendar days. So we've had to make some adjustments to some of our distances on our races on National Forest and pare them down a little bit. But yeah, it's 45 runners over four days for um, Big Pine is the one that we have in three weeks. So how does that work with, because you can only have 45 people, how, how hard is it for you to get volunteers over a course of four day window for that? And, 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 a, and, and then the second question to that is how many volunteers do you end up getting during, that, during those timeframes? So we will be using very few volunteers for that event. Um, we'll just have a handful of staff because we can only have five. We're allowing 45 runners in. So we've just um, gone with the shorter distances on those events so that they'll just be one aid station with one to two people and then two people that are at the starting line and then a medic as well. So that'll be our first race where we're really just trying to be as minimal as possible, but that was really the only way that they would permit us for this year. So wow. we're giving it well, a try. I'm glad you still did it, Julie, in a, in a, in a way that adheres to it. I'm I mean, I think, cool. I think that the mindset was just, if we can get permitted for an event and we can demonstrate that we're able to do this in a manner that is reducing COVID risk as much as possible, that they'll see, you know, as Jeff had mentioned to me earlier, people are envisioning a huge road marathon where there's yeah. just hundreds of people and it is not like that at a trail event. So yeah, I yeah. think we were just really trying to get events permitted and get them on the books and then hope that, you know, they see the way that we run them and that we're able to increase a little bit more in the future. Yeah. And neither. I mean, we, we have an event of over a thousand and it wasn't the Boston people envision that too. And it's hard to make them understand, like, it's not going to be like that. You don't, you know, it was a ghost town. Right. Well, as I was, you know, Julie and I were talking before you jumped on, David, it's like we've, we're trying to, there's been some new things that have kind of popped up here in San Diego and they've now started to kind of allow some kind of permits in city parks. So we're hoping that it kind wow. of directed to small, small races. But the problem is, is races are still getting grouped into, as you said, like people think about the Boston Marathon when they're talking about a race or these rock and roll events when we're just trying to do a 200 person, 300 person event, right? And it's like, okay, you, you pass by a church that's outside in the parking lot and they've got 300 people shoved into an outdoor tent all singing together. And it's like, well, if they can do that, why can't we do, do our event and spread people out in, in groups of 50, you know? So that's, that's been really tough. So my last thing really quick is first aid. And I really touch in on that last time. But are you guys doing anything different from a first aid perspective um, as far as setup goes? Because our guys didn't, aren't really planning on doing anything different. They can, can do temperature checks and all that stuff, but nothing out of the ordinary. Are you, you kind of, both of you guys seeing that from your races is not anything extra um, from, a, from a first aid perspective? We, we, we didn't change anything at all as far as our first aid protocol goes. And then Julia, what about you guys? Uh, the only change that we made is we doubled the size of the medical area because it's typically an enclosed tent just for privacy sake. 
So we doubled the size of that. Medical staff also had us inform runners that if there's beyond capacity already inside the medical tent, if it's not an emergency, that you may have to wait to be seen. So, you know, just making sure that we're not cramming runners in there, which again is a non-issue when you have only 50 people on course at a time, <laughs> the likelihood of that is so low. Um, yeah, that's one thing that we've been looking at too, is do we just increase, you know, it's usually a 10 by 10 tent that's enclosed on a couple sides. And, and from what I've understood, they're, they're not really planning on doing anything out of the ordinary or anything different, which is nice. And, but they said they would take temperatures if we really needed to, you know, and I hope it doesn't come down to that perspective, but who knows? I mean, county or city could change their minds at any given time and require us to do something like that, right? We um, did have our medical staff do the temperature checks. Oh, you did? For our, our first events, yeah. So, you know, in order to gain access to the starting corral, runners had to have their temperature checked and we had the medics do that so that they could also do the verbal COVID screening as well. I think especially for our first races because they were in Colorado and so many people came from Arizona, um, we wanted that to be somebody medically trained that could make a determination if a runner said, oh, I have a headache and could follow up and say, okay, you know, did you drive from Arizona? And so maybe this is dehydration and altitude. We didn't want to disqualify somebody because they answered yes to like, oh, I have a headache or, oh, maybe I feel a little bit nauseous because those are on the COVID questionnaire and those are symptoms. Um, but with a little bit of further questioning and a little bit of common sense and a little bit of medical training, I think you can make the determination between somebody that, you know, is legitimately could be showing symptoms and somebody that maybe is having something else going on. One of the other things that we're planning on doing too, to kind of help out with that, and we're increasing the amount of signage that we've that we'll have on site. Like I, we just ordered a bunch of social distancing signs and face mask signs, like, and we're just going to spread them out throughout the, you know, throughout the uh, staging area. I'm planning on doing, um, getting back to the aid station. We'll end up having aid station signs about 50 to 60 yards ahead of the aid station to let people know that runners will have to have their face masks on as they come into the aid station. Definitely some things that runners are going to be looking at from our events, a lot more signage, race signage and just health signage. You know, we're, we're trying to just make sure that we've get all that squared away. And I, that was part of, you know, what our first aid crew had mentioned is we should probably just be safe and, and add in more signage, the more the merrier, right? It's, you know, I mean, people, people know, but when you're tired and you're in a race yes. and you get mentally fatigued, you forget. And so having a sign there is always a good reminder. Well, I just get worried too. And again, with our 50K, we get um, we get it set up so every 10 miles you're at the checkpoint. But I know I've, I've talked to runner friends that have been out there doing 50Ks and 100 miles already that you get to a certain point in the race that you know, you're already seven, eight, 10 hours in and it becomes a, a it becomes a volunteer and a, and a runner thing. You're just like, ah, at this point, I can't, I can't even think. I just want to, <laughs> yeah, right. And I'm just like, all right, luckily I don't have to deal with any of that where it's, you were 10 hours in and people kind of start to lose interest of, of keeping this, the safety thing going on. But anyway, yeah, that's it. That's, I, I think that covers everything that we didn't get a chance to cover in, in the part one of the conversation. And, um, unless you guys have anything uh, else you want to bring up, uh, that's that's all I've got um, as far as making sure that we 
talk about, you know, aid stations and start lines and, and what the safety concerns are out there. And I, I hope that runners and even race directors that listen in onto this later on, maybe even get some ideas. And I think it's, again, I can't say it enough is it's important to know that what we talk about as far as these ideas and guidelines that we're following now could be different two weeks or even six months or two months down the road. So not everything that we talk about like this is set in stone. All right. That'll do it for our conversation on state of the events and what races may look like moving forward. A special thank you to all of our race directors that came out, shared their thoughts and ideas and and how they're preparing for their events moving forward. I'm hoping that runners, volunteers, and maybe even other race directors that are listening in on this will take these ideas and have that understanding of what we are doing to take that next step forward in producing events and how we're going to make events safe for all that are involved. And as a race director myself, I cannot wait to get back out on the trails and see the trail community, see the trail family. So if you've got a race that's happening in your area, go out and support it, whether it's a via a runner or a volunteer. The trail community needs that support right now. And as we support the 2020 events, it's only going to help all of the events or, or most of these events come back in 2021. So thank you, everybody. I appreciate it. We'll catch you on the trail soon. This episode of the Trail Life Podcast was brought to you by Honey Stinger. Honey Stinger makes natural, honey-powered nutrition to help you prepare, perform, and recover your best. Sweeten the burn no matter where your workouts take you. Go to HoneyStinger.com for product details and more information. Trail Life Podcast music was brought to you by Poor Dirty Astronauts with lyrics written by Matt Meyer.